Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Mullaney with Senior Housing News. Senior living operators must change with the times, but for integral senior living, this year has been more about execution than new initiatives. In fact, it's been an initiative-free year for the company, CEO and COO Colette Gray explains in this episode. Following busy years that saw a lot of changes, it was time to hit pause and focus on execution, she told me. Still, ISL is not treading water. Rather, it's taking a breath to prepare for the big push to meet a new consumer demographic, respond to major workforce challenges, and seize new opportunities to expand the already sizable portfolio of about 75 communities in 18 states. Before we get to my interview with Colette, I'd like to take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. This annual competition recognizes cutting-edge design and excellence in senior living across the U.S. and abroad. We are looking to celebrate unique projects and companies that are improving the lives of seniors through innovative design. If you think you have a project that fits that description, submissions are being accepted through October 31st at shnawards.com. And now, here's my conversation with Colette Gray, CEO and COO of Carlsbad, California-based Integral Senior Living. Colette, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tim. So I want to start by just talking about Integral Senior Living a little bit. Can you start with just the basic information of how many communities ISL is managing today and looking ahead to maybe the next three to five years, what you think growth is going to look like? So currently, we are managing about 75 communities under the ISL umbrella. We're in 18 states. So we, we I always call it a, a half smile as to where we operate. And we start up in Washington and come down to California, over to Florida, up to Maine, but not really anything in the, in the northern part. So we're a smile. That's our little claim to fame here. So we are currently operating 32 communities in our Solstice brand, which is our IL component, and the remaining 43 of those communities are under the ISL brand, and those are a mixture of independent, assisted, and memory care communities. And then in regard to kind of where we're at and where we're going, we currently have 12 communities under development in some fashion. And we're in the process of transitioning another eight communities into our portfolio. For growth, as a company at ISL, we've never really intentionally set out to have a certain number of communities. You know, as third-party operators, this business is very transactional and fluid. Communities come and go and contracts come and go. And we've had new communities come into our portfolio and then communities that have been sold to owner-operators. So... For the past couple of years, we've pretty much stayed at the same size, but I see, you know, with the 12 under development and the eight communities transitioning in, I see that, you know, we will probably see some growth in the next couple of years. Great. And those 12 communities under development, I guess I'm curious, looking at the portfolio, is it common for ISL to be coming in on a new development as the manager? Or would you say most of the portfolio has been acquired through, you know, from other operators? The past five years, I would say we've seen a lot of new developments. And that's been, you know, a large part of our business because simply based on the market and what's happening in the market, and there's a lot of equity out there. So we are still seeing new developments. And that is, 
you know, a large part of our business. But who we are and how we came to be has always been third party management and taking over troubled assets and helping course correct them so that they can operate more efficiently or be poised for sale. So I would say right now it's probably a mix of, you know, 50-50 with new development and with transition community. And one thing that we're hearing is that there might be more opportunity in the coming years to acquire maybe distressed communities that in this most recent period where there was a lot of building, they've come in maybe into oversupplied markets, say, and haven't filled up. Are you already seeing any of those opportunities to take over kind of turnaround projects? Are you anticipating that? We absolutely are. We've actually already started taking those over. We have for the past couple of years actually been been taking those over. And whether it be a discussion in a particular market or, you know, just a community that's underperforming and, you know, an owner comes in and infuses some capital dollars into it and we reposition the asset. So we've, we've seen that over the past couple of years. And is there any level of care where you're seeing the most growth or most of those types of opportunities in terms of ILAL memory care? Right now, we're seeing all three, but I know there is a big drive for IL. We're seeing a lot more IL come into the market and a lot of different owners that are that are trying that pure IL play. Um, but we're pretty much a mix between IL, AL, and memory care. Great. And I guess while we're on this topic, I know that you've got the uh, separate IL brand. Can you just talk a little bit about the decision to create that separate brand for IL specifically, and would future independent living opportunities, are they pretty much all going in that brand flag? It's actually a separate portfolio. It's its, its own operating platform within ISL. We actually work with Colony, and these are 32 assets that are all IL mixed throughout the United States. And we put them in so that they be their own operating platform. We developed the name Solstice, Senior Living, and those communities are specific to the Solstice brand. So as we bring new communities on, they're most likely going to go into the ISL brand. Got it. And just in terms of how ISL manages all sorts of communities in terms of level of care, which we were just talking about, and I believe also in terms of size and price point, can you talk about maintaining efficiency and standards across such a diverse portfolio? Sure. So we manage communities in all four corners of the country, like I said before. I mean, we're in Newport Beach, we're in Bangor, Maine. We operate in primary, secondary, tertiary markets. So, you know, whatever specific market we can operate in it, we've, we're fortunate to have ISL branded programming. So there is a constant throughout all of our communities, whether it be Vibrant Life, which is our activities program, uh, Elevate, which is our culinary program, or Generations, which is our branded memory care program. There's a standard throughout the company. But within each of these programs, there's a lot of flexibility based on resident wants and needs. Clearly, we're not serving the same meals in our New Mexico community as we are in our New York community, nor is every activity doing or every community doing the same activity throughout the portfolio. We, with the core of our program, we're able to have um, very resident-centered market-specific. So again, we have the core of each program. 
but the community based on market and resident wants and needs can modify and kind of color outside the lines, if you will. So we've got quality assurance standards that are in place and basic principles that need to be adhered to, but there is a lot of flexibility. You know, we operate for 25 different owners, so we, we can't cookie cutter everything. We really do need to allow for that flexibility and, again, based on resident wants and needs. And are there any projects underway now that you'd highlight as particularly noteworthy for any reason or interesting? You know, we've got some great new development projects. There's one that just made the news, and that is our hardest Buckhead community. We're, we're incredibly excited to be working with Caddis and working with them on their hardest Buckhead Georgia project. It's you know a great relationship with them, a company who values the same operating principles that we do. They share our culture. There's just a lot of alignment and synergy. And obviously, culture is key to that. So we broke ground on that last month, and we are looking at the 2022 opening, hopefully. It's a 213-unit community, and it's a mix of ILAL and memory care, and it's 18 stories. So this will be quite the community and quite the the flagship, and we're very much looking forward to partnering and and working with them and pairing our, our programs and services with them and Serving Buckhead, it's a new market for us, so it's truly a win-win situation. Yeah, that project does seem really cool. And uh, part of that trend, I think, that we're seeing generally of building up 18 stories in some of these uh, more urban-type locations, Do you, I assume that was part of the excitement of being involved in this project. And is that another trend that you're sort of tracking more generally? Yes, I've definitely seen more of that, Tim. I think, mm-hmm. you know, as there's high barrier to entry markets, you can't build out, you have to build up. And so that's, you know, excited about this project for a number of reasons, but I think that, you know, this is going to be truly unique and, you know, serving Buckhead and it's an area that definitely needs the, the product. And again, if you can't go out, you have to go up. Great. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some challenges, the primary one being the labor crunch. I think this is, as I talk to other CEOs, everyone says that this is the number one thing, keeping them up at night. So how are you doing in terms of recruitment, retention, and and getting through this tough labor market? Gosh, yeah, you touched on something that is, you know, the industry is facing a major labor crunch right now, and we're just, we're seeing... As a whole, people focusing on how do we attract more talent into our industry to, to help keep up and especially knowing what's about to happen in the next couple of years with baby boomers coming in. You know, we really need to address this as an industry and kind of get ahead of the curve. So there's a major workforce development initiative going throughout the industry as people, you know, everyone, everyone is facing the same issue. I don't think anyone is unique in the fact that hiring has definitely changed we are trying to really take a, an approach to our hiring that really drives home the fact that we're doing purposeful and meaningful work for our seniors. You know, when you look at millennials, some people think that's a bad word. I don't. I think it's a great opportunity to, you know, bring some fresh talent into the industry. We know that they want meaningful, purposeful work. And so we're looking at different ways in which we can attract attract associates in and you know, we train our associates that every resident has a story and, and how they interact and interface with our residents truly does make a difference. And 
but really trying to tell our story and, and the industry story as a whole and, you know, why you want to work with us instead of working, you know, you look at minimum wage implications and you can be paying the same as, you know, a Burger King. And so do you want to be flipping burgers or taking care of residents? And truly it is purposeful, meaningful work. And, you know, I think when I look at our retention rates, I think, you know, we are higher than average with our retention and we're, we're very proud of that. I think when I look at, you know, kind of how that's come to, to play, I think our culture plays a significant role in that. I know a lot of people talk about culture. We continually reinforce, we've got 12 culture keepers. We continually reinforce them on a day-to-day basis. I think, you know, when I look at it, we, we've really fostered an environment of fun in our company. You know, it makes people want to come to work every day. Yeah, and be a part of something bigger. I personally send out bi-weekly emails to our teams about culture, sharing kind of tips and best practices, just trying to keep it top of mind. So, you know, from a retention standpoint, you know, that's kind of what we what we are focusing on. When you look at a recruiting, you know, we were proud to say in years past we never had to use a recruiter. The labor market has changed so much that now we have an in-house recruiter. We're lucky to have him, and, and he helps us from a line staff, a department head level. You know, we saw that there was a need for this position. And again, if you asked me four years ago, did I think we'd have a recruiter? I'd say absolutely not. And here we are with our very own amazing recruiter. You know, I, I do think that we're fortunate from a recruiting standpoint. Sufera started this, this company and built ISL back in 2002 with one little contract, and here we are years later with, with 75 and you know when she started it it was it was about culture and it was about creating something different and having people want to come to work for you and I think that is a testament to our company and our culture and I think when I look at recruiting that's really what we try to sell because again you look at the labor force you look at everybody we're all competing for those same people and so we've got to do something different and try to attract new talent into our industry. In terms of that recruiter that you've hired, that's a, is that a corporate position who works uh, with each individual community to help them with their needs in terms of bringing in new people? He does, yes. So, you know, we might be doing job fairs. You know, we're, we're active on websites and he helps monitor those. I, there's so many different avenues. And so we look at what's going to give us the best ROI so that we're not just, you know, throwing everything out there. So he's really tracking that and monitoring that. So we're very fortunate to have, have him on the team. But again, four years ago, never thought this would have happened. But that's where we're at now. Got to change with the times. Is it, this might be more a question for him than for you, but to the extent you can answer it, have you noticed, is it very particular from one community to the next, what the challenges are? Or are there things that you can put in across the whole whole portfolio that move the needle on recruitment? No, it is very, very market specific. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested. Uh, so we were just talking and you mentioned that this is a year without initiatives, which I thought was really interesting. <laughs> because it's an I'm constantly free year. An initiative free year, yeah, at ISL. And I'm constantly <laughs> trying to hear about everyone's new and exciting initiatives and what they want to accomplish. So I'm very interested in the idea of having an initiative free year. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. So 2020 is an initiative for a year. Obviously, we're looking at changing, you know, we've got to change with the times. And as things come, we are going to make modifications as we need to. But from a pure rolling out an initiative, 
this past year, we rebranded our culinary program to Elevate. The year before, it was our activity program to Vibrant Life, our memory care program to Generations. We, we have done that. We continually tweak and modify and, and do things to those programs. But as far as rolling something else, out this next year, I think we have done um, quite a bit. We've got some amazing programming in place, and now we're just going to stop and take a breath. Is that something that you heard from the workforce that, oh, we're feeling overwhelmed, and so you decided to hit pause? Or is that something that you got a sense sort of at the corporate level that it was needed? Can you talk about that decision? I think it's a combination of Mm -hmm. both. You know, I think you can only put so much on communities to where you know, we're not a top-down company. We're very collaborative and, you know, want to have everyone kind of be a part of the, the bigger picture here. And I think we've done that for the past couple of years and we've, we've made some key changes and we've updated and grown our programming. So, you know, I, I think the teams appreciate the fact that we have, and I know our owners appreciate and the market appreciates that we've changed and, and updated the programming. But I think at some point you need to be able to take the time to execute on it and just kind of back to the basics and focus on focus on now making sure all of those things are implemented and and functioning as, as best as they possibly can. So I think it's a combination between the communities, you know, feeling like, okay, we've got this and now we're going to execute and us saying, okay, we've got this and now we're going to execute. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, you know, we're we're talking right after the Nick conference, and that kind of reflects <laughs> some things I was hearing there about. It made me laugh, but one person I, I heard a story about a company that had a meeting and just emphasized to the dining workforce, make sure the hot food is hot. <laughs> and back to the basics. Back to exactly. The basics, yeah. I guess while we're on this topic, if I can throw you a question on the fly, I think that. Right now, we might be at an interesting moment in senior living because getting the basics right is so important in this environment where we are seeing new competition, occupancy, at least on a nationwide basis, is down, and everyone's you know really needs to be at the top of their game in order just to um, drive occupancy and, and hit their numbers and be able to run a successful business. At the same time, there are a lot of changes that are happening now and even greater changes that might be coming down the pike in the form of the new consumer demographic of boomers, technology changes, new investor types and groups getting into senior living. So I guess I'm just curious day to day for you, how are you sort of striking that balance between blocking and tackling and, and thinking more big picture? And is, is has this been a year where you're more focused on one versus the other? No, I think covering all, all three of those. I think, you know, going back to your block and tackle strategy, we change with the times just as our business has changed, our, um, you know, our, our communities have changed, our programming has changed. You've got to be able to change with the times. So we're always looking to see, you know, if there is something new that's coming down the pike and, you know, from a technology standpoint, we're willing to run it up the flagpole and, and see what works. But to take it and, and make an initiative out of it, you know, it's not something purposeful that we're setting out to do. But as things come our way, we're constantly evaluating and determining, you know, what, what changes and tweaks need to be made. And, you know, the investor market is changing. Our ownership groups are changing. We're seeing, you know, more of a focus from, from many of the owners. You know, they've got asset managers and they're looking at things a different way. So I think, you know, change is just part of it. Mm-hmm. 
able to keep up and need to be able to adapt to change and um, know that change is good and welcome it and embrace it. Exactly. You, you mentioned some of the um, new types of investor and owner groups coming in and asset management is changing a little bit. That's also something I've heard. I'm curious from the perspective of a third party manager, is that changing at all your relationship with the owners? And do you feel any more, I guess, oversight for better or for worse? There's definitely more oversight. You have a lot of folks that have been in this space and are now, um, you know, they've, they've operated in a regional capacity and they've now moved into a, an asset manager type of role. And again, I think embracing it and they have a lot of questions. They want additional analytical data. You know, we're very open to doing that. But at the end of the day, they've hired ISL as a management company for a reason. We know what we're doing. So, you know, we're, we're very collaborative and we don't mind we don't mind the additional oversight, but it always goes back to the fact you hired us for a reason and and let us, you know, be able to do our job. But again, collaborate with one another and we're open to their feedback and suggestions as well. So in the past, you know, you wouldn't have gotten feedback, you wouldn't have had visit, we're seeing that more now. And again, I mean, we embrace that because we've got great relationships with our owners. So yeah, it's def- it definitely is changing though. Interesting. Okay. Let's, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about your personal story. I guess just to start, it would be great to get in a nutshell, hear how you first came to senior living and just rose through the ranks to your current position. Okay. Well, gosh, I started back in this industry in 1995. I had just graduated out of college, UNLV, and I originally got into this industry. Um, it wasn't purposeful, which, again, we're trying to change that and get more people to purposely come into our industry, not um, by happenstance fall into it, which is kind of what I did. My grandmother lived in a community, in an assisted living community, and after she passed away, I wanted to do something to give back. And so I started volunteering in a retirement and assisted living community. I started calling bingo. And next thing you know, they were opening a new community, sister community down the road. And I started as a sales and marketing director in a brand new building. I didn't even have a trailer. I was working out of my car and sold the community. And I have not looked back ever since. I, I instantly fell in love with senior living and knew this is what I was always going to be doing. So I started on that new development project in Las Vegas. I um, then worked into an executive director role. I had the opportunity to do a regional sales role, a regional ops role. And I went into a VP of ops, um, eventually became the COO, and now the CEO and COO. And, you know, I, I look back when I first came into this industry, I had a mentor. His name was Abdul Khoury, and um, he was my COO at the time. And I saw what he was doing, and I said to myself, that's the job I want. That's my end goal. And I was able to achieve that. And, I, you know, I've had a lot of great mentors over the years. And I think, you know, looking at where I'm at now, Sue Farrow, um, who started ISL, back in 2002. She is an industry pioneer and I hope to one day be as amazing as she is. So I, I just, I can't think of doing anything else, being anywhere else. You know, it's, it's an amazing industry to be in and it just makes you feel good, you know? 
That's great. I think that's a great segue into my next question, which is about the Argentum Women in Leadership Initiative, which launched last fall, I believe, and you're playing a leadership role in that. So I'm wondering if you can just talk about your decision around getting involved in a leadership role for this initiative, how it's been going, what if there have been any milestones reached, and, and I guess for those listeners who aren't familiar with it, maybe just a description of what the initiative is would be helpful. So yeah, I, I was asked by, I sit on the Argentum board and I was asked by James Calder, our president and CEO of Argentum to chair the committee. I immediately jumped at the opportunity because I sat around the table in the board meetings. And um, when I first started on Argentum, there were a lot of men, nothing against men, but I said, you know, there needs to be more women here. And so when we had discussion about this and how do we further women in the workforce and they came up with this committee and I was asked, I said, absolutely, I would, I would love to do this. You know, I'm passionate about senior living and I'm equally as passionate about bringing more awareness to actual women in leadership, which is the name of our committee. I think, you know, as an industry, I think there's a huge opportunity for women to have more of a seat at the table and this committee is allowing us to do that. I think, you know, when you look at the number of women that have come into senior roles in, uh, most recently, huge progress has been made in this. You look at the number of women now that are in CEO, CEO roles, CFO roles, it's just, you know, we've made good progress, but, you know, that's just the start. So as a committee, we've met a couple of times. We rolled it out at the Argentum Conference in May, the Women in Leadership Initiative. And we focused on three key areas in which we've developed actual subcommittees for. So one is establishing a mentorship program for women in senior housing. The other is a committee in which we are looking at kind of how we tell our story and how we utilize the media in which to do that. And then the last initiative is recruiting women into senior living. And how do we bring people into this industry and elevate women in the, in the workforce? So we've got these three subcommittees. We're actually meeting next next month in person, and we've got you know some exciting things to come. So look forward to sharing more in the very near future about this, this great initiative. Great. I guess one thing that surprised me back when um, I saw you speak at Argentum's conference in San Antonio was, I don't think it's a secret that women make up a large percentage of the senior living workforce overall. And I think there are a lot of high profile women leaders. You referenced uh, a number of them have have taken the reins relatively recently, including at the big public companies, um, which is great. But I was surprised that the percentage of women who actually rise through the ranks all the way into the top of the C-suite is not as high as, as I expected. Do you think that there's any reason for that or specific things that need to change in order to get women all the way sort of to the top? No, I think it goes back to the initiative. It's, it's making, creating that awareness and bringing, helping mentor people and helping show kind of how we got, you know, people that are, that are in these roles, how we went for it and, and not being afraid and that we deserve a seat at the table. There, There is no reason why we can't be there. And, you know, men, women, we've all got great ideas. And so, you know, I, I look forward to the day when we don't have to have a committee like this because it's just, 
natural and organic and it just happens. But yeah, I mean, it definitely we're, we're trying to focus on how do we get more women into the, not just into the industry, but also into the C-suite and, and have more of an equal balance, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And it seems like a good moment to be having that conversation too, because there's, every, you know, for a number of years already, we've been hearing that there's likely going to be a big wave of retirements in the coming years as some of the industry founders really reach retirement age and succession planning needs to be on everyone's mind, right? It does. And, you know, take a look at women for those roles too, because we're sharp group. Great. That is a great note to end on. Thanks so so much for uh, the conversation. It was very interesting. You bet, Tim. This was very nice. Thank you. That does it for this episode of Transform. I'd like to once again remind all our listeners that there's still time to enter a submission for the Senior Housing News Architecture and Design Awards. And you can find more information at shnawards.com. I'm Tim Mullaney. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.